Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Is our prayer life that... Um, prayer is our oxygen. It's the, it's the very lifeblood that comes into our being. When you breathe in, you breathe in oxygen. That is then um, passed through into your bloodstream. It then gives life to every part of your being. And uh, when you breathe, you, you, to breathe in, you've got to first breathe out. When you breathe out, um, you breathe out. What do you, I can't remember what you breathe out now. I preached a whole message on this. <laughs> Carbon. <laughs> Carbon what? Carbon dioxide. Yeah, yeah. It's not monoxide, is there? If you're breathing out carbon monoxide, there's something wrong with you. We have a doctor down the front, and I suggest you see them quickly. And uh, so you breathe out carbon dioxide. And, and uh, it's really important, actually. Um, I, can I suggest that? We, one of the things we discovered when I was preaching this message is that you can, you can now go to a breathing coach which I just think is the most awesome job in the world. <laughs> Dr. Kevin Upton, breathing coach, come to see me if you're having trouble breathing. And uh, I will improve your breathing and your life will become much better. And uh, <laughs> having marriage problems, improve your breathing. Having financial problems, improve your breathing. Just come to me, I only cost £500 an hour. And... Uh, so you can now get a breathing coach and uh, a breathing coach. Well, one of the things they do say, which has great value, is you've got to, you, breathing out is, a, is an important aspect. But it actually, in your, in your life, if you want to breathe in God, you've got to breathe out the, the carbon dioxide that builds up in your life through your own negative thinking, through your own, own unbelief. Just breathe it out. One of the things we've got to learn to do in life is breathe out. Yeah. Just let it go. Let go of the stuff that builds up on the inside of us. Here's the other thing that we discovered uh, on the beginning of this series uh, is that a lot of people run around and they, they're trying to isolate themselves from, from circumstances and sinful things which will cause problems in their life. That's a good thing. But here's the deal, right? All humanity is broken. All humanity is sinful, for want of, for want of a, a better word. All humanity... Um, has the ability to ruin even a, 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 a good thing. It's like, it's like, um, it's like bringing, walk, bringing friends to a place where it's just snowed and you just want, oh, I just want to run through that, that beautiful patch where it's snowed and then you run through it and then you turn around and it's ruined. And uh, that's humans. That, and so the reality of that is that wherever we are, there will be the innate, the nature of our humanity creates its own carbon dioxide. There, there is the part of our nature, the way we've got to learn to just breathe it out so we can breathe in the presence of God. And, and so oxygen is our prayer life. So I, I'm going to speak this evening on how to pray when you're stuck at the bottom of the belly of a fish. And uh, because should this unlikely event happen to you, it's good to know what to pray. I, I mean, I'm figuring that it's unlikely, but the Bible does give us instructions. So, so figuring that it's in the Bible, there must be circumstances in our life where when a big fish swallows you, that you will know what to say. Because I'm figuring that what you say determines where, how you get digested and uh, whether, whether you, which direction, which hole you come out of, basically. <laughs> 
And uh, so... <laughs> I, it, it's better, basically, it's better to come out the front end than the back. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. So, um, basically, we're going to go through the story of Jonah. And Jonah, um, Jonah's story is quite extraordinary because it's the story of a man who is a prophet. Now, as a prophet, he, he, his prophecies are more about kind of the, the destruction of people that he doesn't like and, um, you know, he's, he's noted as a minor prophet. As you read the story of Jonah, you, you, you begin to discover that he's a man that's just sort of in love with God. Um, he's quite sort of narrow-minded in that process. He would be one of those people that I've met many Christians over the years. I was brought up in a Christian, very traditional Christian church environment. And, uh, and since we've been ministering here in Scotland, I've met many people who would, who would say, uh, of people that have a very traditional sort of church, very fervent but traditional Christian life. But, oh, yes, I know they're really boring, but they, they really preach the word. And uh, uh, it's the most common thing, they preach the word, which I kind of, well, it's wonderful. But, you know, so I kind of feel like Jonah is like, um, I'm trying to be careful here, but being a bit edgy as well. And uh, so just in case anyone here is from traditional Church, and you really like it. I'm sorry. Um, so, <laughs> I was brought up in traditional church, and I really didn't like it. So, um, we, what we want to discover is what happens to a man who, with a narrow mindset of what God can do, what he can't do, and what he wants him to do, what happens to him. And, and Jonah was a man who was... who whose mind was so kind of like so determined, um, so right wing. He was he was a Republican. He was he was he, he just wanted to annihilate. He, if, if, if he could got his finger on the nuclear bomb, he would have bombed Nineveh. He would have wiped them off the planet before God could say, I want to say he would say, it's all right, Lord, I've solved the problem. I nuked, I nuked them. And uh, uh, but he knew that God would forgive them. And because he knew that God would forgive them and God wanted him to go and speak a message uh, of redemption and, and repentance that he decided to run away. And when he ran away, he got on a ship and he went in the opposite direction. We think he, he probably got on a boat somewhere in the Mediterranean and off he, sh- off he shot. And what happened is that while he's on this boat, the boat enters in a storm and the storm is so uh, large that all of the men believe they're going to drown. But the curious thing is, is that Jonah is asleep at the bottom of the boat. Now, I find that fascinating. Boats in those days weren't that big. And I've been in boats before that are quite big and in storms and they bounce around a lot. But here's Jonah asleep in a small boat, which is bouncing a heck of a lot more than a big boat. And he's asleep at the bottom of the boat. Here's what happens to people when they're just focused on their own um, invention and their own purpose. Like, this is the way I'm doing. They begin to sleep through their own storms. If you've got people telling you what's going on that you can't see... It's possible you're asleep in the midst of your own storm. And Jonah 
was asleep in the midst of his own storm. He was the reason for the storm. And the men begin to question, this storm isn't a normal storm. These men have been, they're, they're, they're sailors who've been uh, in many a storm before and they, they understand what's going on and they're thinking to themselves, this isn't normal. We, we've sailed in many storms and we've not been taken out like this before. And, and what happens is they begin to realize that the, this isn't natural. This is, this is some kind of supernatural event taking place and they begin to wonder who has done something terrible wrong and 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 Jonah in the end says look um they have to draw straws I mean Jonah he knows it's him but he makes them that the boat is drowning and he's still making them draw straws he he's trying he's trying to avoid doing his best to avoid and face his here's the thing is the storm going on in your life put your hand up if they're not I'm asking yeah you see, when, when there are storms going on in our lives, we've got to learn to put our hand up. Yeah. See, if there's a storm going on in your life, put your hand up because that is when we can begin to resolve the issue of the storm. And so what happens is that Jonah, he didn't want to put up his hand. He's keeping his hand on his backside. All he's going to do, when he eventually it's decided to realize he's him, he doesn't even volunteer to jump off. He says, yeah, look, guys, I think you need to throw me off. <laughs> I think he should have volunteered, to be honest with you. I mean, they've lost all their cargo. How much has he cost them? <laughs> and they're still unwilling to throw him off. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, people, by the way. If you've got people who in your life that are going through the storm, throw them into the presence of God. Don't try and solve it yourself. Don't try and solve it yourself. Give them over to God. That's how people get saved. And here is Jonah and he's thrown overboard. And, and then, for the only time in history ever recorded, a large fish. Now, I always remember in Sunday, when I was a kid in Sunday school, how many of you ever heard this, right? In Sunday school, um, it wasn't a whale, it was a fish. The Bible says it was a fish, it wasn't a whale. Well, could have been a whale, right? <laughs> I don't know whether it's heresy to say that it was, a, it, was a large, it was a large animal. It's quite possible it was a supernatural creature. In fact, I'm suspecting it was for one simple reason. He didn't die. <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm thinking that if, if you were swallowed by anything, you would be suffocated fairly instantly. Right? So whatever it was, it was fish-like. And it swallowed him. And here we're going to read in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me out of the belly of Shoel, I cried. And you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, into the flood surrounding me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me even to my soul. The debt closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up. You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy 
temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now here's, there are several things that we have to note about Jonah before we get into the prayer that he prayed, the first thing is that he prays and he, he says this and he's, he says that he has been cast down into Shoal or I've been cast into hell. Here's the thing about Jonah's hell. It wasn't hell, it was a fish. All right? Your storm is not hell. It's not the worst thing that's happening. Uh, and it's quite likely that the storm you're going through is God's mercy. It's quite likely the storm you're going through is God's mercy. When you're in a fish, I'm pretty sure it doesn't feel like God's mercy. You've just been swallowed by a fish. You've just been thrown off a boat that was reasonably safe in a storm. You've been thrown off. You've gone into the water. The water is coming over top of you. You've got seaweed wrapped around your face, according to scripture. It's now wrapped wrapped around his head. He's got seaweed like that. And a fish comes along and swallows you. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's it then, isn't it? That's the end of me. And you begin to, here's the thing about our lives. It's incredible how we begin to pass judgment over our own circumstances and begin to feel sorry for ourselves because of the decisions that we have made. And we begin to look and we go, God, why? Why would you do this to me? What is going on around my life? How did this happen? This is, this is hell. It wasn't hell. It was a fish. It was was a fish. It could have been, it was Jonah's hell, but it was just a fish. It might be your hell, but it's just a fish. It's it's your trouble, but it's just a storm. And it's God's mercy to save you. It was God's mercy to bring Jonah to a place of, he needed to save him from drowning. And so he brought him to a place, one, where he could rescue him, two, where he could lead him to a place where he can find salvation, where he could find grace, where he could find God's supernatural life. Are you with me here? And so I need you to understand that the power of God, the power of God, is found when we realize where we really are. And here Jonah begins to cry out to God. And as he's crying out to God, he's beginning to discover how to pray. And here's the thing about Jonah's prayer. Here's the first thing that Jonah... What would you pray if you'd been swallowed by a fish? I'm pretty sure it would be help. (laughs) But it's the one thing Jonah doesn't ask for. He doesn't ask for help. He asks for something else. This is what he says. He says, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. You see, the first thing that we need to do when we get into storm is know which way to turn towards the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, the temple in the Old Testament is a representative 
of relationship. It's a representative of covenant. It's a representative of friendship. It's a representative of partnership, of companionship. It's the, pen, it's the place, the temple is the place where God meets with man. In the Old Testament, it was a physical place. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit says that man is a temple of the Spirit of God. And so we can find the Holy Spirit. He is all places at all times. And when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we turn and we go, Holy Spirit come because he's there for us. Are you with me here? But he turned. it's turning to the Holy Spirit and turning to the presence of God. Understanding that it isn't form, it isn't religion, it isn't structure, it isn't a certain routine It is pure relationship with God that causes you to discover how to to walk in your liberty and freedom again. To get out of a storm, you've got to find the one who's going to get you out. There's a, a, what is the name of that place down down at the, um, the arches in Aberdeen where you get locked in a room? It's... um, Jail. No, it's uh, <laughs> breakout games. I can't think of anything worse because I, I can't be bothered with breakout games. Anyone here like the idea of break, breakout games? Like being put in a room and then you've got to work out how to break out. I just can't think of... It's like, just give me the flipping key. Yeah. I mean, it's like, give me the key, let me get out. I can't be bothered. I know you've got one. <laughs> I don't, I don't like those kind of puzzles. It's like, it's like I, I know there's one there. I know somebody else knows to so just do it. Let's not waste time. And, but here's the thing with our life is that life is a puzzle. I spoke a couple of weeks ago that it, it, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing and it's the glory of kings to work them out. That God conceals his glory deliberately so that we search it, find it, so that we value it the more. We spoke about how Easter eggs are deliberately hidden hidden so that they may be eaten, not so that they may go rotten. (laughs) True. Easter eggs are hidden to be eaten. And when they're found, they're valued. I've noticed this with kids, that the more sweets you give them, the, the less they value what they've got. The ones they found, however, trying to get it off them, <laughs> well, <laughs> you will suffer physically. <laughs> and uh, if they physically can't stop you, then they will scream until your ears bleed because they value what they found. Yeah. We've got to learn how to find what God has hidden. But the thing that you need first and foremost, the the greatest lesson in your prayer life is not help, it's Holy Spirit. I turn my heart, I'm turning towards the holy temple. I'm turning towards the temple where God is. And as Jonah begins to pray, he begins to recognize the gracious hand of God upon his life and He says this in verse 9. He says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You see, God keeps us safe in our rebellion. 
God keeps us protected in the midst of our own mistakes. When we walk in our own inventions, we lose out on his mercy, but his mercy is bigger than our mistakes. His mercy is bigger than our mistake. Now here's the thing about here's the thing about the mercy of God. Um, whenever I see a police car, I, my heart beats slightly fast. I don't know why. I just I feel like I must be. I yeah, I feel like I'm. A, well, it's not that I. You know, you know how it. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I want you to know that I'm a God fearing man. <laughs> Righteous in all my ways. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> but I, I, know, I know that police are trained, uh, pursuit, uh, police who work on motorways, etc., they're, they're trained in high pursuit, uh, high-speed pursuit um, driving. It's a certain drive skill set. And I was trained by an ex-police officer whose, whose skill set was extraordinary. His driving skills were almost supernatural there was there was something weird going on he could make the car do things which wasn't and he would sometimes get me out of the way just to show off and uh, and we would do things he could spin a car into a driving you know the ones where they stunt drivers and they he could do that uh he could just just slide it into a space and and not smash any cars on the way and and it, it was but and no, normally he's driving normally right so a police officer, most of the time, is driving normally because the conditions are normal. Yeah. Should the conditions change, the driving changes too. Mm-hmm. And they're driving. When their driving changes, the rules about how they drive change. Yeah. Everything changes. The rules are completely different. If you go from normal driving to advanced driving skills, the rules change. There's a different set of rules that are being applied to that driving condition. Mm-hmm. Are you with me here? See, the mercy of God works the same. You could be living a life that's perfectly normal. You've got God's mercy on your life and you're totally blessed. But it may be that either situations around your life have broken out or you've made a few mistakes and then things start to go a bit wrong. The storms of life begin to billow against you. Are you with me here? The circumstances have changed... So the rules have changed, but the mercy of God is still being applied. When a police officer is driving a car, he's still a police officer, whether he's driving by normal conditions or by high-speed pursuit conditions. Still the police officer. When the Holy Spirit is moving on your life, he's still the Holy Spirit. It's still his mercy. Just the rules have changed. And so when the Holy Spirit is moving, when we feel like we're being swallowed by fish, well, it's better to be swallowed by a fish than to be drowned in the sea, right? God is working in your life. And if you can't control the events of what's going on around you, it's quite possible that God's mercy is working overtime to keep you safe. The conditions have changed, but the mercy is still mercy. 
that saves our life. God will do anything and everything to protect us and lead us home. Isn't that amazing? The last point I want to make here is that Jonah makes this extraordinary statement. I think after saying I turn to the the temple, I think this is perhaps one of the most incredible statements. He says in verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. In other words, I'm just going to praise God in the belly of the fish. I'm going to praise God. It's going to sound amazing. It's going to be like sounding. It's going to be like singing in the toilet with my head under the water. It's going to be like... It's going, to be, it's going to be amazing. Never has there been such worship on the face of the earth as there was when Jonah was in the belly of the... It would have been, a, it would have been the belly would have been going. It would have been, maybe he drummed a bit. I don't know. On the side. And he praised God with thanksgiving in the belly of the fish. Then he says this. I will pay what I have vowed. I will pay... What I have vowed. Now, I need you to understand how much God takes vows seriously. See, a vow in God's eyes is the most important thing that you ever say. And he will hold you to it without release. He will hold you to it. Because God is the God of vows. God is God because of his vows. See, God promises us new life in Christ. He promises us salvation. It is a covenant promise. It is like Marriage, it's like till death do us part, except there's no death. (laughs) So when you make a promise to God to give him your life, you just entered into a covenant relationship because he already made the first covenant act. He said, I'm giving my son. And if you believe in me, then you shall receive eternal life. It's a covenant act of extraordinary, extraordinary promises. And when we say, Lord, I believe in you, I give you my life. He takes that as your word and he's not letting go on it. It says in Deuteronomy 23, I I need you to see this because if you want to know why God is just not letting go on you, this is why. Deuteronomy 23, when you make a vow to the Lord, 23, 21, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. And it will be a sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be a sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed it to the Lord your God, what you have promised from your mouth. Here's what I've discovered. In moments of praise and worship, we promise the Lord everything. You with me here? We do, don't we? Promise Him everything. When we get home, we want to renegotiate. 
particularly when the going gets tough, there's, there's often times of, God, you know, um, when I said everything. <laughs> and it's not that what we're trying, we're trying to redefine what the everything is. It's not like, we're going, Lord, I give you everything. But what I need to understand, Lord, there are lines that I can't cross. There are. But a vow to God is a vow. And he's going to keep you in the belly of the fish until you are certain you will follow what you said. Proverbs says, be quick to pay your vow. Be quick to pay your vow. Because only fools hold back. You see, if you want covenant blessing in your life, there is a guarantee here. God is a God of promises. Cheryl and I have been married 29 years this September. And I mean, it's amazing because you don't even get that for murder, right? So, (laughs) I mean, wow, the temptation, right? So, you've got to... Twenty twenty nine years. We made we made marriage vows twenty nine years ago, and those vows we made until death. So, so um, <laughs> I need to I need to get myself out of this, don't I? So yeah. <laughs> so we made a vow, and the happiness of our home is settled around the keeping of the vow. With my body, I honor you. All that I have, I give to you. All that I am, I share with you. These are big vows, right? Huge. In sickness, in health, all of those things. We give each other these incredible vows. And here's what I've discovered. The fullness of married life exists in the fulfilling of vows, not in the waiting of delivery from the other person. When you're waiting for someone else, it's like half our time Christians are waiting for God to do something. Just pay your vow. Just pay your vow. What's your vow? Well, your life. Lord, I, I promise you that I will worship you. Well, worship him. I said to you, Lord, I will give you All the things that I have will will give it to him. I said I will serve and follow you, but I I didn't expect this in the midst of it. Well, we didn't talk about what you would go through when you did it. You made a vow. I mean, 29 years ago, we didn't know that we'd be in Scotland. I could have said, except Scotland. didn't even know Scotland existed. I mean, it was like... I didn't know about Scotland. I didn't know about this. I didn't know about all these wonderful people. When we got married, Chaz here was just a few months old. We didn't know that one day he would be our son-in-law. Isn't that weird? There are people around the planet 
who don't know you, who one day will be your close best friends, will be your 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 son-in-laws, your daughter-in-laws will be will be ones. There are people around that you've no idea who they are right today, and they've no idea. See, we don't know where our life is going and what is opening up for us. What we do know is we made a vow. If God has to keep you in the belly of a fish until you're ready to pay the vow, then that's what he'll do. But I want you to know, pay the vow. Fulfill the promise. Walk in it regardless. You see, we have a promise from God. We know that God's going to deliver on his side. Because if he doesn't, he isn't God. He isn't God if he doesn't do it. So he has to do it or the universe implodes. I mean, think about it. I mean, if he isn't God, if he's no longer, I mean, if he is God and then he doesn't do it, then he isn't God. And if he isn't God, no one's holding the universe together. It's a bit of a big thought. (laughs) Everything implodes. People are going around, God, you said you would look after me. You let go. Well, obviously... It's not God who's let you down because if God had let you down, he wouldn't be God and then we'd all be dead. So we know that God keeps his word. Time for us to keep ours. Time for us to keep our vow. You said you'd follow him. Follow him. You said you'd walk with him. Walk with him. You said you'd love him love him. You said you'd worship him. Worship him. You said you would give to him. Give to him. Don't debate the storms. Evaluate the crisis. Renegotiate according to the conditions. Fulfill your promise. And all God's covenant blessings shall be loosed onto you. I've known this. 29 years, many, many challenges, many, many challenges. But we have learned a rhythm of just fulfilling vows. And I'm telling you, it comes back many times over. Sometimes I come home and and Cheryl's been running around we've got more guests coming and she's got to clean the bathroom again and I'm going well I haven't in the bathroom it's alright to me bathroom needs cleaning and she's coming on and I know that Cheryl's intention is to clean the bathroom but I know that my vow according to my vows I need to clean the bathroom I mean, I can't see what's wrong with it, but I know that I've got to clean it, and I've got to clean it the way she would clean it, otherwise I'm not fulfilling my vow. <laughs> I'm cleaning it, I can't see anything. <laughs> I don't know what she told me, I had to put my arm around the armpit. I, I think she might be conning me. I, I... <laughs> (laughs) 
time to fulfill the vow. Time to do what's right. God would do what's best. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.